um, see everyone later then. No, let's, um, let's open up the Bible. We're going to be turning to uh, Luke 5, verses 17, and then Gareth's going to come up and speak to us. Let's read that. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the people of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the, sea, heal the sick. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could find not a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please welcome Gareth as he comes to speak to us. Oh. Thanks, guys. You're very kind. Oh, good morning. Morning. Um, I'm Gareth, as you've just heard. I'm the curate here at Bay Church, um, and it's my great privilege to be with you this morning. Um, we're sort of sandwiched um, at a sort of funny little point in the, in the middle of the month. We, 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 we haven't really called it a series, but we're sort of doing like a mini sort of series of talks on the church and what, what on earth the church is. Um, last week, Matt and Beth and others opened up for us the, the, the vision of, the, of Bay Church, explored the vision together. Next week, we've actually got our, one of our bishops with us, Bishop James, the Bishop of Plymouth, which, which will be really exciting. And so in this week in between the two, those two things where we're exploring what the church is, I thought we'd just take a bit of time to think, where is the church? Because you might be here, this might be your first ever Sunday in, here in Bay Church, this might be your first Sunday at church ever, in which case you are really welcome. We'd love to get to know you. Come and say hello at the end. Um, or this might be, you know, this might be the billionth time you've been in church. But wherever you're at, you might be, you, you might every now and then just wrestle with the same question, especially if you're here for the first time. What on earth is going on here? What is the church? What are we doing? And that's the question I want us to consider as we begin this morning. What is the church? Now, uh, it was my birthday a few weeks ago. That was fun. Um, and I couldn't think of anything that I wanted for a present. My dad would ask me what I want for a present. My mum would ask me. My in-laws would ask me for what I wanted for a present. And, and the problem with having a birthday so soon after Christmas is you just can't think of anything, you know? Um, and so when my extended family asked me what I wanted for a present, I just sort of, I think I just panicked, really. And I just said, to, apparently I said to everybody, board games. Board games. Wall-to-wall -wall board games. And so they obliged and have very kindly bought me board games. So I've got loads of board games now. I'm a board games guy now, guys. I'm a board games guy. So if anyone wants to come around and play board games, give me a shout, um, and I need to learn how to play lots of them. Uh, but it's one of the amazing things about our, um, this age, our sort of 
digital age, our age where shops and things like that online are so readily available that I can just instantly be into a new hobby. I'm a board games guy now, you know? That's, it's just happened like that. We can find out about a new hobby or pastime on Monday and make it our hobby or pastime on Friday if we really want to. And we're able to join all manner of clubs and societies with just a casual Google search and a few clicks of a button. And in a culture like this, it might seem that the church is, is, is just another club sometimes. It might just feel like, the, oh, maybe the church is just my hobby that I do on Sundays. Maybe it's another nice society. Is the church a nice society, a, a little club, a hobby? Well, Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, he puts it like this. He says, it's easy to imagine that the church is essentially a lot of people who have something in common called Christian faith and who get together once a week to share it with each other and communicate it to other people outside. But as he goes on to say, this looks a harmless enough view at first, but it's a good way from what the New Testament encourages us to think about the church, which is that the church is, first of all, a kind of space cleared by God through Jesus, in which people may become what God has made them to be. That is God's sons and daughters. Cool. I like that. Nice one, Rowan. What if the church, what if the church isn't just a society of nice people? I mean, we are nice people, but what if that isn't just it, you know? What if the church isn't just something different to do on a Sunday morning? What if the church is a kind of space cleared by God through Jesus in which people, you, me, everyone sat here, everyone we know is invited to become what God has made them to be? What if when we're sat together in each other's homes, hanging out in bay groups, and if you're not involved in a bay group, come and chat. We'd love to help you get connected into one. But what if when we're sat in each other's homes, when we're in bay groups, you and me are invited to help each other become more and more what God has made us to be? What if when we're playing our part on Bay Cruise, as Matt has just told us about, when we're playing our part on Bay Cruise, we're not just filling a gap on a rotor. We're raising our children and young people together. We're singing songs of praise together. We're praying for people together. We're blessing this bay together. We're welcoming home the downcast, the outcast, and those who always came last. What if that is part of the process of you and me and everyone in this bay becoming more fully what God has made us to be? Amen? Yeah. Because if that's true, if that's what the church really is, then that changes everything, right? But at the same time, let's be real. Church doesn't always feel like this. Church is full of human beings. And as human beings, we don't always get things right. I don't always get things right for sure. And if the church is a people, a space where heaven is meeting earth, and sometimes we'll more closely resemble the beauty of heaven. And sometimes we might just more closely resemble the brokenness of earth. And that's part of being human, this side of Jesus returning. So we ain't perfect, but, the power of his, but by the power of his Holy Spirit and in union with Jesus, God is inviting us to become more fully the people that we're made to be through being church together. And I'm really excited about that. I love seeing you lot on a Sunday morning because you help me be more than more the person that Jesus has made me to be. And I hope in some small way I can do the same back for you. And so as we turn to our passage for today in Luke 5, uh, we find Jesus pretty near to the start of his ministry. If you've got a Bible and you want to crack it open and track along, um, then you can. That would be great. Um, But we find Jesus pretty near to the start of his ministry, performing this incredible miracle of healing a paralyzed man. 
And the reason I want to explore this passage, because I want to focus in on four different kinds of people that we find in this story and who I think we often find in church. So we have these four different kinds of people. And I know we find these four different kinds of people in church because I have the capability to be all four of these people within maybe half an hour uh, on, a, on a good day. Um, so we have someone in need. We have someone who cares. We have someone who's preoccupied. And we have someone who is cynical. Now, don't get me wrong, none of us are stuck being any one of these kind of people. It's not like a, you know, like a personality test or one of those online quizzes you do to find out which Disney princess you're most like. Although, Anna from Frozen, if you're wondering. Um, but if we're honest, we all have the capability to be each of these kinds of people. And I know that. I know that. You know that. We all know that. But crucially, I want us to consider the way that in our Bible passage, Jesus sends each of these people away transformed. None of them stay the same. More and more, the people that God has made them to be, that's what he sends them away as. And so firstly, and most obviously, is the paralyzed man at the center of this whole story. This man is someone in need, and he longs to bring those needs to Jesus. Now, Jesus, at this point in his story, this point in the Gospels, he's beginning to get a bit of a reputation across his home region of Galilee. He's begun to preach. He's begun to heal people and perform miracles. And whilst he's begun to call and gather a few followers, he's also been kicked out of his hometown of Nazareth for just being a bit much for them. They couldn't handle some of the things he was preaching. And so he's ended up living about 30 miles away in this seaside town called Capernaum. And this paralytic man and his friends have clearly heard on the grapevine that Jesus has the power to physically heal people. In fact, in the passage just before this passage, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. And so they come to Jesus trusting in him to heal this paralytic man. And what this man receives is a whole lot greater than that. Because he brings his physical needs to Jesus, but what Jesus offers him is holistic. It's about his whole being. Firstly, he doesn't go for the physical healing. Jesus forgives his sins. And then he heals him physically. The healing that Jesus brings isn't just spiritual, it isn't just physical, but it's both, and it's so much more. And Jesus does the same thing again and again throughout the Gospels in order to help people become more and more the people that God has made them to be, by tending to all of their needs, not just the obvious ones. Friends, as human beings, we all have needs, right? Some needs we know about, like our physical needs to, you know, to breathe and eat, eat and drink water, and some needs we don't know about, like the spiritual needs we have at the very core of our being. And our greatest need is the relationship with God through Jesus. This is the wellspring from which all of our other needs are met, and not always in the way that we think they'll be met. Because as that paralytic man is lowered down through the roof to Jesus, he's absolutely hoping to be physically healed. But there's no way he's expecting to have his sins forgiven. And yet that's where Jesus goes first. And then even more remarkably, when Jesus has transformed our lives, when he's fulfilled our needs, he invites us to do the same thing that he invites the man to do in verse 24. He says, get up, take your mat, and go home. Get up, take the things you came with, the things you were burdened by, and go back to the places and spaces you inhabit with a visible testimony of your transformation. Get up, take your mat, and go home. No sooner than we've stood up from our place of transformation does Jesus invite us to tend to the next person in need. Even when we're people in need, 
It's in his power and his might that we have the capability to be transformed into people who care for others. And so that's the next group of people I want to consider. We have someone in need and we have someone who cares. In our passage, this is the friends of the paralytic man who love their friends so deeply that they're willing to rip up a roof for him and who trust Jesus so deeply that they know this is going to be worth it. I actually came to faith when I was um, when I was 17, and I was wrestling with my health at the time, wrestling with relationships, wrestling with who I was, and wrestling with the concept of a God that I hadn't grown up knowing really much about. But a group of my friends had persisted with me, a group of friends who went to a church, and I got to know them a little bit through school and all that sort of stuff, and they persisted with me over two to three years of me wrestling with all my questions, all my stuff about God, and eventually... They invited me on this youth weekend away with their church where I had a powerful encounter with Jesus and everything just kind of fell into place for me. It was still a journey, but it, it was a pivotal moment for me. And from that point on, as you know, this is half my lifetime ago now, I was really happy to call myself a follower of Jesus. But it had only happened because my friends loved me persistently over the course of two years. They had the courage to invite me to that weekend away and they trusted completely that all of my needs could be met in Jesus. And likewise, in verse 20 of our passage, when when Jesus saw their faith, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith not just of the man, but of his friends as well, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The paralyzed man is brought into the presence of Jesus by his faithful friends. When you think about what the friends would have gone through to get their friend to Jesus, it makes sense that Jesus is impressed by their faith. There's a cost to being somebody who cares. For the friends of this man, the cost would have been many. Firstly, I don't know if you've ever tried it. Messy business, digging up a roof. Very messy business. Um, That part of the world, the roof is probably made of clay as well, and they're probably digging it up with their bare hands. Might have got a few few tools out, but the the safest way to do it without, you know, shoving a spade through and hitting someone down below you um, is to do it with your bare hands. So they're getting down in the dirt. They're getting down in the clay. They're ripping up the clay tiles. And secondly... It's going to cost them in terms of social capital. Because, again, don't know if you've ever ripped up a roof in front of a large crowd. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? A bit awkward. Doing something as drastic as that in front of a crowd, that's going to cost them. And thirdly, it's probably going to literally cost them, isn't it? They've just destroyed somebody's roof, okay? There will almost certainly be a financial price to pay in terms of compensating the homeowners. But these friends go through the costs. Because they care so deeply for their friend and they trust so completely that Jesus has the power to give their friend what he needs. They obviously believe that Jesus had the ability to heal him. And so they were prepared to do whatever it took, whatever the cost. And I want to be like that. Don't know about you, but I want to be like that. Are we prepared to do the same? Am I prepared? Are you prepared? Are we prepared to embrace the mess, to embrace the cost of bringing our people in need to Jesus? where all of their needs can be met. Because the problem for this paralyzed man and his friends is that he faces two key barriers to encountering Jesus. And both of these barriers are actually other people. The preoccupied people and the cynical people who will consider now. Um, So the third set of people are the preoccupied people. People who are preoccupied. One of my favorite things to do, uh, spent most of yesterday doing actually, one of my favorite things to do is play Lego with my children. My daughter is five. She's old enough to just sort of crack on with building all sorts of incredible things now. But my son is two, and he understandably needs a bit more supervision when playing with Lego. 
And we have this Spider-Man Lego set, which I must be honest, is technically mine. But obviously, my son absolutely loves it. You would have seen him running around this morning dressed as Spider-Man. He's a big Spider-Man fan. So obviously, he wants to play with the Spider-Man set. And recently, I noticed that whenever he plays with it, I've actually become a little bit preoccupied with him not breaking the model or losing all the bits from my Lego set. But whenever I do that, I've realized I miss out on the beauty of my son's creativity. And frankly, I miss out on the sheer wonder of just spending time with him. So I'm trying to be less precious about my Lego. All right, keep me accountable on this. I'm trying to be less precious about my Lego and to just enjoy spending time with him. And it's the, kind of the same for this, the crowd of people in our passage. They're preoccupied with seeing this famous Jesus teach to the extent that they're proving to be a barrier for, barrier for this paralyzed man who wants to draw near to Jesus. This crowd has gathered at a home to hear Jesus teach. We don't know whose home, but we do know that in a typical first century house in Capernaum, if it was standing room only, you could have probably fit about 50 people into this home. Bit of a squeeze, but you could have fit about 50 people in. But this crowd of 50 people, they're getting in the way. The people who are here to watch Jesus for themselves, but they aren't really paying attention to their surroundings. They're not really paying attention to what's going on and seeing that there is someone in need around them. They're the reason that the people who care have to break open the roof. If the people who are preoccupied have paid attention to the needs of those around them, then the friends of the paralyzed man could have just brought him straight to Jesus. And the roof stays intact. And if I'm honest, this is probably the group I resonate with the most. It's so easy to be preoccupied with our own needs that we ignore the needs of others. It's so easy to be preoccupied with, oh, what's, what's Jesus teaching me today? What's Jesus saying that I can apply to my life? And absolutely, that's important. But we can do it to the extent that we totally forget to introduce others to him. When you're in a crowd, it's easy to shrink into being anonymous. In a crowd of 50 or so people, it would be easy to go along and hear what this increasingly famous Jesus had to say. But, but make yourself small enough to not be noticed. And if we're preoccupied with not wanting to get in the way, the irony is that actually in trying to blend in, we'll usually just get in the way, the very thing we're aiming to not do. And so, friends, I speak to myself as much as to you when I say this. If you're preoccupied with diminishing yourself, stop it. <laughs> if you're preoccupied with not bothering Jesus because you think, oh, he's probably got more important things to do than talk to me, stop it. Jesus loves you, undoubtedly. Jesus loves you. If you're preoccupied with not getting in the way at church, and so you just want to come and make yourself small enough to, to blend into the crowd on a Sunday, then please, 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 I understand where you're coming from. I have been in your shoes. But stop it. We need you. I need you. We need each other. Please don't diminish yourself. Jesus doesn't want you to diminish yourself. The world is not made a better place by any of us being smaller versions of the people that God has made us to be. Amen. Yeah. God wants you and me to become more and more the people that we were made to be. And if we need a place to learn what that looks like, then church is that place. So that's the third group. Finally, our fourth group. We have someone cynical. We have the Pharisees. This group of Jewish religious teachers whose cynicism blinds them to what's in front of them and means that they can only call out grievances and complaints about what they're seeing Jesus do. Um, I recently had the great privilege of going on a pilgrimage to Israel and Palestine. 
And I'm honestly trying my best to not be one of those guys who starts every, every story with, oh, when I was in the Holy Land. But when I was in the Holy Land, we visited a whole bunch of important sites from the life of Jesus, including we were in Bethlehem, we were in Jerusalem, um, and we were in, in, in Capernaum as well, uh, where this story happens, which was amazing. But on day one, I found myself being a little bit cynical. We went to this site, and I just remember being like, ah, oh, this probably isn't where, this, where our guide is saying this thing happened. Wow, oh, not much archaeological evidence for it. And I, had, and I caught myself. I had to sort of make this, this promise to God for the rest of the trip that I'd just stop being cynical. Otherwise, I knew that my inner cynic would constantly be critiquing things and sending our group leader crazy with my annoying questions. Yes, but how do we know that Jesus actually walked down these steps? That sort of thing. It's good to use our critical minds, absolutely, but there comes a tipping point, especially when, when I was on a pilgrimage, hoping to lean in closer to Jesus. There comes a tipping point when, we're, when I know for myself I'm just being entirely cynical. And I knew for me that it would potentially ruin my entire pilgrimage and blind me to what God was doing in our midst. And this cynicism is the thought pattern we see ingrained in the actions of the Pharisees in our passage. Verses 20 to 23, Jesus says to the paralyzed man, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin thinking to themselves, this is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? For the Pharisees, their theological understanding was that not even the Messiah could forgive sins. And so Jesus' claim to forgive sins was tantamount to a claim to be God. Now notice that Jesus doesn't deny that it's only God alone who can forgive sins, but he goes so far as to claim that he has the authority to forgive sins. He's revealing to them that he is God incarnate. But the Pharisees are so rigid in their theology, so narrow in their expectation about the Messiah, so prejudiced about what they thought they knew about Jesus, and let's be fair, maybe just a little bit jealous of his success. And it causes these upstanding religious men to be blinded by cynicism to the beautiful things that the Son of God is doing right before their very eyes. And so Jesus confronts them head on. Jesus forgives the man's sins and he says, get up and walk. Both are impossible for human beings, but easy for God. A cynical Pharisee could do neither, but Jesus could do both because he's the son of God and he cares. He cares about this man. But here's the remarkable thing. That paralyzed man picks up his things and goes home. And verse 26 says this. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. Don't get me wrong. The Pharisees in general, they keep trying to trip up Jesus throughout the rest of the Gospels. They're the closest thing the Gospels have to being the baddies. They keep being cynical about who Jesus is. They keep missing the point. But verse 26 is really clear. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. So I, I could be wrong on this, but I choose to read that as those specific Pharisees who were present at that home in Capernaum were in some way transformed by witnessing the healing of that paralyzed man. But whether I'm right or wrong about how I'm reading that verse, I absolutely believe that Jesus has the power to transform our own cynicism. And so friends, what I'm saying today as we come into our land, all, what I'm saying today is, isn't we all need to work harder to be less preoccupied. We all need to work harder to be less cynical. We all need to work harder to be more caring. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Jesus doesn't just transform the lives of those in need. 
He transforms the lives of the preoccupied, the cynics, and the carers. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. You might be here today as a person in need, or even a person preoccupied, or a person cynical, thinking, I want to be someone who cares, but I am so far away from that. Maybe I'm just stuck as I am. And this morning, I want to remind you that this whole moment in the Gospels is about transformation. I want to remind you that at its best, on its best days, the church is all about transformation in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we've been invited by Jesus to be the space where people are made more and more into the people they're made to be. And Jesus is not content to leave you alone with your needs, but nor is he going to let you wallow in your cynicism or allow you to sit preoccupied on the sidelines. Jesus is inviting us all to be amazed by the things that he does, to go away from an encounter with him, praising God and saying, we have seen remarkable things today. We all need Jesus, and the church needs all of us. Wherever you're at, Jesus is inviting us all to become more and more the people that God has made us to be, and he's inviting us into that transformation through being church together. Not through being a society of nice, preoccupied people, Not through church being a space for us to gather and indulge in our hobby of being cynical about the culture around us, but through being a people who care. A people who are willing to overcome the barriers and rip the roof off the obstacles which get in the way of bringing our needs, bringing the needs of others and bringing the needs of our bay to Jesus. Lowering them down through the roof so that they might be forgiven, healed, transformed and sent away amazed and praising God. Amen. Amen.